How do I follow that? That was powerful. Thank you, Wayne, for presenting that to us. It feeds so well into what I want to share this morning from the Word as we prepare our hearts even to follow that with worship. That rendition of Paul's letter to Timothy, oh, so, so, so powerful. I want you to think of this number and remember this number, 208. I just want you to put that number in your head and remember that number. It's a very important number I'm going to come back to in just a, a moment. Psalm 119, 105 says this. This is the simple passage I want to springboard into a, a message about God's Word. God says of His own Word that your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. David's saying this. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Lamps and lights. Lamps and light. A lamp and a light is so critically important in the world in which we live. In my neighborhood, the neighborhood that Vicki and I live in in Savage, Minnesota, safe suburb of the Twin Cities is not as safe as we thought it would be or should be. We found that in our neighborhood there's some, been some activity of people in the after hours and the wee hours of the late night and in the early morning, people traipsing through the neighborhood and even walking in and through our yards. And so what we've done in our neighborhood is we've kind of band together as a community, joined a Facebook group, and we've all talked about what's been happening and what can we do about this. And someone came up with this genius idea that, you know what, probably would be a good practice, a best practice, if we all turned our outside lights, you know, the, the lights on our porches and the lights outside our garages, lights in our backyards, just turn those lights on. And we typically turn those lights on, and then they go off at about 10.30 or 11. Why don't we keep those lights on all night? Because... Lamps and lights guide us, but also lamps and lights, the Scripture talks about the evil deeds always happen in darkness, that when light shines, we are not as tempted to do the things that maybe we shouldn't be doing. And so, what do you know? In our neighborhood, there's been a decrease of this activity, because we all have these cameras now that are showing what's happening in our driveways and on our porches and our backyards. Lights and lamps. Light is very, very important. I know that all of you got a smartphone because we're taking attendance by smartphone. Take your iPhone or your Android out. I love my iPhone. There are so many, many, many features on this iPhone, and I don't even use all the features. I like to obviously make phone calls with my iPhone, and I do my emails on my phone, and I text, and I can Google whatever I need to Google. But you want to know the feature that I have found myself using in a pinch more than any other feature, and just like you, it's the flashlight. I use this virtually every day. I find myself in a situation where I just need a little bit more direct light to find something that I lost or whatever. I'm now at the place where I have to have bifocals and so my glasses, if I don't have my glasses, you know, you know, one thing led to So the flashlight. Isn't it interesting that this flashlight is something that we use quite frequently with our, with our smartphones? Lamps, and light, so critically important in the world in which we live. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. In an uncertain world where we have very little certainty about what's happening around us, what do we cling to? What do we hold on to? What do we focus on? What can we put our trust in? We need a lamp and we need a light more than ever before. 
It's literally crazy town in the world in which we live. So many layers of complex problems locally, nationally, globally. And here's the most important thing about all the craziness that's happening in your world, in my world, in our world together. It's not specifically about the issues per se. Now, the issues are important, and we need to give attention to the issues, and we need to do the best we can to solve the issues and address the issues. But I believe that what's most important for us, especially as believers and especially as you as college students, but all of us understanding that whenever we face something that has some uncertainty to it and, it and it creates anguish and it creates anxiety and it creates fear and it creates this like, what am I going to do? What's most important is not certainty, but what's most important is clarity. Getting clarity in light of what is so uncertain in the world in which we live. A lamp and a light. When you can't find certainty, pursue clarity. Because when certainty is at a low level, and there's not much certainty in the world in which we live, there's plenty of clarity. There's an ample amount of clarity to help you face whatever it is that's uncertain in your life. Thy word, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. There is ample enough clarity in God's word. But the challenge is, how do we find it? How do we find it? We know where it is. We know that it's in God's word. But how do we find that clarity in God's word? Because God's word is so clarifyingly powerful, it's essential that we do everything that we can to build our life on the word. I love what Dr. Hagen, President Hagen, said just yesterday and even the day before in chapel that... We need to make the Bible bigger than it's ever been in our lives. We need to build our life on God's Word. We need to respond to this beautiful portrayal of Paul's writing to Timothy by Wayne this morning, but yet ask ourselves, how do we do that? Because if you've been in church any length of time, you've certainly heard lots of sermons about the necessity to build your life on the Word and to live your life on the Word. But how do you do that? How do you grasp this big book that is 66 letters all together? And how do I do that? There's so much content. There's so much material. How do I do it? Especially when so many parts of the Bible, for many of you, myself included, are still complicated. I don't know how much I get out of my reading in Leviticus. I don't know how much I get out of my reading in, in Ezekiel because it still is challenging. Well, that's why we here at the school have been just so passionate about making sure that in this 50-minute daily experience, whether you're here live or you're watching online or you're watching live stream, that we do our very best to make sure that we're constantly bringing the Word to you. And when all of our guests come, they always bring a message built on the Word of God. And, and, and so bringing the West message of God's Word is so critically important. And you're hearing a lot of God's Word, especially in your Christian studies classes. But you're also getting a lot of Word in your classes that are, whether they're based out of the College of Church Leadership, or they're in COFA, or COBAT, or in College of Arts and Sciences. All of us as professors, whether we're vocationally ministry training you, or vocationally training all of you to be ministers in the 
world. We're all bringing scriptures here and there into your life. But what does it mean? How do we grasp the big picture of this book that we call the Word of God that we want to have bigger in our lives? How can we do that? How can we grasp more of it? That's the purpose of what we call our Bible Core Chapel series. And this message that I'm bringing is a way to kind of launch what is going to be six chapels this semester, unpacking, again, a journey through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Now, we can't, we can't journey through Genesis to Revelation verse by verse, and we can't even journey through it book by book. We have to journey through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation on mountaintop themes, where we take a mountaintop theme and we go from mountaintop to mountaintop. We elevate up to a high elevation, looking at the broad spans of scripture based on a biblical theme. And if we do that enough times, semester after semester after semester, if you're here for traditionally maybe a four-year, eight-semester experience, or maybe a three-year, six-semester experience, over the course of those six semesters, you will have journeyed through with us. If you've been in chapel, you'll have journeyed through the scriptures six times at least based on a biblical theme, giving you a bigger understanding and a bigger idea of what God is trying to say in this thing that we call the Bible, the Word of God, that gives us light unto our path. Now, you might say, well, Dr. Graham, I, I still don't understand what the big deal is. Just remember the, the number 208. 208. 208. Because of the reality of a 208 moment that we're all going to experience if we haven't already, this semester we're going to take the theme of God's people and in six different chapels, start in Genesis, work our way through the book of Revelation, and we're going to be talking about the, the idea of God calling a people, God calling a people to be his people through which he would work and move, not be his people as though he, th those people are the better loved of his people, no, but through his people, whether it be Israel in the Old Testament or we in the church in the New Testament, the whole idea of God calling a people to be a part of a kingdom that is here but is not fully here, and yet we move forward this kingdom. So we're going to study the people of God in the past so that we might find an understanding of our role as God's people in 2021. And so that's what you have to look forward to, and Dr. Rich Prude is going to unpack the first message in a couple of weeks. So that's where we're going. But again, I know that you say, why is this so critically important? It's because we need to prepare you for your 208 moment. What's a 208 moment? A 208 moment is a time when uncertainty slams into your life without being aware of it or without being prepared for it. Unexpectedly, something's sweeping you off your feet and you're anxious and you're fearful and there's an emergency or there's a crisis or there's a need for a miracle. It's called a 208 moment. 208 as in 208 seconds. That's three minutes and 28 seconds. What will you do when something happens and your immediate response is needed in the moment and the timer begins and you've got three minutes and 28 seconds? Twelve years ago today, January 15th, 2009, U.S. Air Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport at 326 in the afternoon. Two minutes into that flight, 
the chief pilot, Chelsea Sullenberger, reported bird strike, double bird strike. And they looked out to the left window and the right window, and both engines were on fire. They ran into a flock of Canadian geese, and it knocked out both engines. And the timer began. What does a pilot do when all he's got is 208 seconds to make the right decision and to somehow bring those 155 souls back home? Well, I'm sure that you perhaps know of that story that happened. If you didn't know it at the time, maybe you saw the movie starring Tom Hanks called Sully. And Chelsea Sullenberger was heroic. He was able to glide that plane with no thrust, first trying to get it back to LaGuardia, but he realized quickly, I'm not going to make it back to LaGuardia. They tried to divert him to Teterboro, a nearby airport. He wasn't going to be able to get there, he recognized. And so we're going into the Hudson. And with great expertise and great skill, he floated that bird down onto the river, and when it impacted in the water, it didn't fall apart. It didn't disintegrate. It stayed intact. And it floated on those waters until the Coast Guard ferries, the passenger ferries, could get to that plane and rescue all 155 of those people. All right. So here's my point. Sullenberger was interviewed after that whole adventure and, of course, everybody's calling him what? They're calling him a hero. You're a hero. You're a hero. Do you consider yourself a hero? And listen to what he said. He said, I am no hero. I am no hero. I only did what every pilot would have done because I'm not a hero and the pilots aren't a hero. What's heroic is the training. What's heroic is the preparation for all of these situations that we might encounter. I'm going to show you real quickly a two-minute interview of Chelsea Sullenberger, but let me just set it up this way. Pilots have takeoff plans. They have landing plans. They have in-flight plans. They have all kinds of emergency plans. A lot of these plans they learn in the simulator where, you know, if they make a mistake, it's not fatal. But as you're going to see in this interview, there is no simulator that can simulate a landing on water. So, what, show this video, just a two-minute click, and then I'll wrap it up. You started flying when you were, when you were 14, and you were, uh, you were a fighter pilot as well, so jet, jet plane uh, pilot. Do you think um, the, the, the fact that you worked in the military helped with that moment? Yes, I think everything I've done in my life was available to me to be easily accessible to make those important decisions so quickly in those seconds that we had. But being a military aviator absolutely provides one with a firm foundation, the discipline to have a professional attitude about everything that one does throughout the flying career. But as a, as a pilot, with all those hours in a simulator, the, the, the training that you do, how much training can you actually have, did you actually have, for that sort of occurrence? Practically none. In our flight simulators, it was not possible to practice a water landing. That data don't exist in our program for. The only training we ever got for a water landing was a theoretical classroom discussion. So my first off, 
so much went so right so quickly as what was so remarkable about this event. We were able to take what we did know, adapt it, and then apply it in a new way to solve this novel problem. In 280 seconds. Because and what's extraordinary about this is that there were so many variables that could have gone wrong. There were so many things that could I mean, you can't even bear to think about the possibility of, of the catastrophe that it could have been, and yet it wasn't. And you, it was the confidence you had. You knew that you were going to be able to learn that. I was confident I could find a way to solve each of these problems until finally we solved them all. Uh, but it required great focus because the, the stress after 30 years of airline flying where we tried so hard never to be surprised by anything was so sudden being confronted with this at such a low altitude. But I was, I was confident I could find a way along my crew to solve this problem. All right. Here's the application as we move ourselves into the segment of singing and worshiping Jesus. You are being prepared today for a 208 moment, a three minute, 28 second moment. It's gonna happen because we live in a world where things aren't perfect. It might not be as dramatic as flying a plane and getting that thing down, but here's what I want you to be thinking about as it relates to the continual drumbeat that we beat here, and that is to build our life on the Word of God, build our life on the Word of God, having a devotional life, paying attention to what God's saying to you in chapel when people are preaching and teaching God's Word. Chelsea Sullenberger did not successfully land that plane in the water because he was paying attention in flight training. He got his pilot's license at 14. He'd been flying since he was a teenager. He joined the Air Force and he was a fighter pilot. While he was in the Air Force, he also uh, was a part of the crew, uh, teams that would investigate flight crashes. I mean, this guy was learning all kinds of things in different ways to become this expert, to be able to do this novel thing, to do what's never been done before in the span of 208 seconds, figuring it out. He also studied the psychology of what goes on inside the brains of a pilot when they're in crisis, which is why he was able to be so calm. If you watch the movie, it's a great portrayal, or you go online and you listen to the actual audio recordings of the, of the black box. It's incredible. He's so calm. God wants you to be that leader when that 208 crisis hits. He wants you to have calmness. And that calmness is going to come not from certainty. It's going to come from clarity. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. When you know, you're not sure what you're going to do, but you know you've been reading the Bible, you've been studying the Bible, you've been giving yourself over to God's word since you were a kid or since you started at North Central. Listen, it's only 208 seconds that you might have. How do you perform with the anointing of God in those 208 seconds? It's the result of hours of being in training hours and days and weeks and months and year after year working through the Bible, staying in the Bible, absorbing what God wants to say in preparing you for what will be one day your 208 moment. Let's stand and let's love God for giving us his word and let's worship him.